0: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 20th. After a few days of rest and recuperation, I won't lie, I feel reinvigorated and ready to roll as all of us tennis fans, whether consciously or not, begin to Eagerly anticipate the start of the 2023 tennis year. Now, of course, we here at Cracked Rackets have already begun our 2023 preview for the college tennis season, and if any of you mini break listeners have missed any of our preview podcasts breaking down our top 10 Division 1 men's and women's college tennis teams entering the 2023 season. All you got to do is head over to the Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear myself, John Parsons, Chris Hallioris break down a different top 10 team every Tuesday through Friday again over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, every Monday, Damian Kust, Yaka Babro continuing to offer their thoughts on what was an outstanding 2022 season at the ATP challenger level. But of course, now here on this show, our hope is to slowly begin that transition towards previewing the 2023 ATP and WTA seasons. Now, of course, in the month of December, we say it's the off season. There's still plenty of tennis at times for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. And on today's show, I want to get into some of the exhibitions we've seen unfold obviously we had the big exhibition I believe in Saudi Arabia I want to talk uh, offer a few thoughts I should say on the level we saw at that event how much relevance tennis fans should put into any result we see here in the month of December I also have to offer a few thoughts on this week's World Tennis League action now if any of you listeners are active on tennis Twitter and perhaps given the progression of Twitter over the course of the past few weeks. Some of you have become less and less active on that platform. Nevertheless, the, I suppose, topic du jour for Tennis Twitter this week was World Tennis League action, talking about that bright orange court, how difficult it may be at times to track the ball. With all of that said, I do want to offer a quick breakdown on some of the players competing in World Tennis League action, some of the events they have planned for that World Tennis League. And then again, how much relevance should we put in anything we see here in the month of December from a results standpoint? Certainly something I will allude to throughout the course of today's show. That outside of that, I suppose there are a few other storylines for us to catch all of you listeners up to date on. Those of you, again, hardcore tennis Twitter nerds may have seen Riley Opelka's thoughts that doubles players are the single most overpaid athletes in all of professional sport. We can dive into I suppose, his reasoning for that statement, whether I agree, disagree with those thoughts, I think many of you listeners can probably guess which way I'm leaning. But I will say for a guy who sometimes just lets it fly, you know, Twitter, what, what's, the, what's the lyric? Twitter fingers turn to, to Twitter finger or Twitter. I, I forget what the line is from Drake, but something involving Twitter and your hands turning into I suppose, weapons when you ultimately end up using them to tweet out something controversial. Certainly, Riley Opelka, not afraid to tweet out something that he thinks will rile tennis fans up, but I actually think it's uh, the discussion he's having, the even if it's not in the most graceful format, but what is the role of professional doubles? Where does it fit in the tennis ecosystem? I think it's a legitimate conversation to have, and I suppose we can open up that dialogue here on today's show. But again, we do have some... Even more enjoyable 2023 preview centric podcast planned on this show for all of you listeners this week. I know last week was a very light week, only two mini break podcasts. We talked tier one ATP WTA talent with Gil Gross, with David Kane. Now, each of those podcasts were over an hour, so hopefully. I don't know, maybe some of you listeners do listen to these podcasts in their entirety in one complete session. I know I'm a guy who likes to start listening to a podcast, get back to it when I have more free time. And we have a wave of 2022 off-season mini-break podcasts, many of them recorded here in the month of December, that I think do an exceptional job recapping where things stand right now in the professional tennis world. Talk about, obviously, some of the players, some of the things we are most excited about moving forward. But again, over the course of these next, two weeks as all of us get amped up for play to begin in Australia. And again, that play is going to start right around the corner. I can tell all of you this. I am flying out to Los Angeles January 1st for my first play work week of the 2023 season over at Tennis Channel. So I'm what, 12 days away from being in Los Angeles. I assume that means we're about 12 days away from the start of some sort of ATP or WTA action. It'll be upon us before we know it. So again, for all of your college tennis previews, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. I'm actually going to start speaking with many more of our preseason top 10 team head coaches over the course of the next 10, 11, 12 days over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, so be on the lookout for that. And then, of course, here on this mini-break podcast feed, we begin to turn our attention towards the 2023 ATP and WTA seasons. That said, going to save those in-depth preview podcasts for later in the week. I just, you know, I I suppose I got to shake off the rust here. It's been a while since I've gone solo on any sort of, any one of our Cracked Rackets podcasts. Certainly, it feels like it's been a while since I've gone solo here on the mini-break podcast podcast feed. So we'll call today's episode a bit of a chaser for what we have planned later in the week. But with all that in mind, of course, a massive shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point who stick with us through thick and thin, who understand, Alex, you spoke a lot of words over the course of the past 11 and a half months. If you need to take three, four days off from this podcast, we are still going to support you. And of course, we know Tennis Point will support not only us moving into 2023, but of course, going to support Tennis Point. Tennis fans everywhere by providing the best equipment at the lowest prices, of course. All you got to do, go to tennis-point.com today. If you use our promo code CR15, not only we will let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. See, I know all of you mini break listeners, You may have missed this podcast so much. You maybe even missed the Tennis Point plug that comes along with every episode of the mini break. I know I miss saying it for all of you listeners. So with that in mind, again, reinvigorated and ready to roll. Here are some thoughts I have for all of you tennis fans here on Tuesday, December 20th. Let's start with the exhibitions more broadly. And I saw my dear friend, Eyebrowed Nemesis, Crack Rackets contributor Gil Gross waning into this topic earlier earlier, either on Tuesday or maybe it was over the course of this past weekend on tennis Twitter. I think it was the fact that either Djokovic or Nadal significantly struggled in a match against Alex Zverev. And of course, Zverev is one of those players who we have seen play a ton of tennis here over the course of the past month as he tries to work his way back into shape, work his way back into form. Uh, As we approach the 2023 season, obviously Zverev, the massive ankle injury at the French Open, wasn't able to play any tennis down the season's home stretch and as such to have matches, even if they're only half serious against the Rublevs, the Djokovic's, the Fritz's, the Kyrios's, the Medvedev's, all the players competing in this exhibition run of tennis. It's interesting. For a player like Alex Zverev, I don't want to say these December results matter because he could go 0-12. Let's say he plays 12. Again, 12 was a very arbitrary number. He could go 0-12, we'll say, in his exhibition play here in the month of December. And you know, again, truth be told, I would not put that much weight on those results, A, because this is a guy who has not played a ton of tennis since the French Open. B, it is an exhibition event. How much Motivation is there when you've gotten your hour of tennis in, you feel like you've gotten good workout in, you feel like you've worked on all the things you have to do in these exhibition events, you've played an hour, you've entertained the crowd, and maybe at that point you look at the scoreboard and it's you know, six four, two, one, you're down a set and a break. And whomever these players are at these exhibition events, maybe they say, you know what, that's enough for me. Or honest to God, and I'm not trying to say these events are staged or rigged or any of these things because it's exhibition tennis. And even if it is staged, even if it is rigged, again, none of it matters long-term. But go watch today's Sabalenka-Robachana match. I think Rebakana ends up winning the match 0-6, 6-1, like 10-2 or 3 in the breaker. No scholar is going to look back at that match and argue it was good tennis from start to finish. Now, there were pockets of rhythm for each player. Again, there were moments when Sabalenka hit that cover off the ball in the first set where you said, yep, that's exactly what I want to see from Arena heading into 2023. There were also moments from Rabakina where, again, the first serve, the first strike, how fluid she is off of both wings. That backhand backswing for Rabakina, it's just so condensed and You know, C.C. Gilgrove, C.C. David Kane. People don't talk enough about how good of an athlete Elena Rabakina is. Yes, the power is overwhelming. Obviously, she was top five in hold percentage in 2022 on the WTA Tour, but she is fluid as a mover. She uses her length, her size extraordinarily well to beat you to the spot, to get her racket, uh, I suppose, on... The, uh, just get a racket on the ball. And then, of course, with her strength, with her power, with her athleticism, all she's got to do is get her racket on the ball to have the chance to do some damage. Anyways, again, all of this is to say I don't know why any spe- – I, I, I don't. I don't want to read into any specific match because there are so many ebbs and flows. Because, again, you could tell third set breaker – the motivation was there, but the intensity of, say, a Grand Slam event or even, you know, your regular... I feel like there were some third sets Sabalenka played like against Coco Gauff, say, in Canada. That intensity from Sabalenka was not there. You know, at one point, they had the dancers come out for this World Tennis League, and as Sabalenka's going on, the changeover, the dancers are twerking out on the center of the court, and what does Sabalenka do as she approaches the baseline? Puts the racket down for a second, throws a little twerk out there for all the tennis fans as well. And I hope you can hear hear in my voice when I'm describing the Arena Sabalenka twerk, I am currently in my seat twerking it up for all of you listeners, so you can imagine what the Gruskin bootay looks like at this moment. But again, more broadly, here's what I'm looking for from an exhibition event. A- if you weren't healthy, CC Alexiev, how do you look physically? Is there a fluidity that has returned to you? How in rhythm are the shots that you are going for? The big things I look for in an exhibition because they're the most controllable, again, the physicality, which is totally an arbitrary, qualitative, eye test sort of analysis. Quantitatively, make your first serve. It's exhibition tennis. No one wants to see these second serves be put in place. Certainly, again, early on, first two, three games of an exhibition, I actually think you see these players putting in the sort of focus and, I suppose, rigorous game planning that you will see many of them apply throughout the course of the 2023 season. But again, after those first 30, 45 minutes, things quickly wade into the fun exhibition category of things. So... I'm looking for dramatic outliers, I suppose would be my final thing of what I look for for these exhibition events. I look for a really good player. If you're getting killed like four, five matches in a row, I'm trying to think of what the most significant negative outlier example of this would be. I mean, it's tough to tell, I guess, for what a specific, again, I guess you don't really look at the downside of a negative, of an exhibition. Someone could get killed in an exhibition event and it truly doesn't matter. Now on the flip side, I do look to see if there are certain players who are exceeding expectations. Again, I think from an exhibition, all I take are the extremes. So for instance, you know, Andre Rublev during the Saudi Arabia uh, exhibition event, uh, I thought he looked excellent throughout the course of his week uh, while playing. And, you know, again, uh, for Rublev to get good wins that he got throughout the course of the event for him to be able to play, you know, against the Carlos Alcarazes of the world, who, by the way, it was nice to just see healthy, fit, playing tennis again for Rublev to get some shots at, you know, the Tsitsipases, the Zirevs, the Medvedevs, the teams, the Kyrioses who were all just hanging out as part of this Tennis Cup event in Saudi Arabia I thought Rublev looked really good. And again, for what it's worth, there was a $3 million prize fund. The winner got a $1 million. Runner-up got 500 I thought it was pretty solid tennis, particularly by the end. Because look, with all due respect to, to Andre Rublev, tanking has never exactly been – It's just not something I think he's capable of doing. And so, you know, again, when I watched Rublev play, for instance, throughout the course of uh, this exhibition event, I thought he he was really excellent. I thought somehow, you know, physically he seemed fit. He seemed healthy. He seemed explosive on the forehand wing. I thought he looked really good uh, against... Uh, against who am I blanking out here? Against Alcaraz, that's the match I'm referring to. I thought Taylor Fritz looked really, really good throughout the course of the time, and ultimately, obviously, Fritz was able to clinch the tennis cup to win the title. He got that six and six win over Daniil Medvedev in the final. Again, six and six. Was Medvedev necessarily playing the 13 feet behind the baseline, you're not getting a ball by me, no matter what style of tennis, that certainly he would have played if this was a Grand Slam final, a Grand Slam semifinal, second week of a slam, final stages of a Masters event? No, I don't think Medvedev had that sort of intensity, but certainly everything was in rhythm for Medvedev. Certainly he looked good on the serve. Certainly Fritz, I thought, was just... The physicality, the, the continued improvement we see from Taylor Fritz in his movement each and every season. Now, no one is going to ever accuse Taylor Fritz of being an elite, fluid athlete. No one's ever going to accuse him to having the movement of Carlos Alcaraz. But what have we always said about Taylor Fritz? Tennis itself has never been the problem. His ability to strike a forehand, strike a backhand, hit the serve cleanly, even when down break points 30-40 or add out in a precarious situation on the court— You know, we used to joke around and call him Big (laughs) Fritz, right? Back when I used to say funny things here on this show. Back when I used to be more inappropriate, I suppose, than I was now. Because Fritz has always had that level of clutchness, that non-quantifiable factor, the it factor to his game. You know, he loses the junior French Open final to Tommy Paul, comes back, beats Tommy in the junior U.S. Open final. What does he do after ascending to world number one junior status that season? Well, he goes on to win a couple of challengers at the ATP challenger level. He's the first of the young Americans to make an ATP level final when he does it at Memphis all of those years ago. And then obviously for Fritz to essentially be as injured as Rafael Nadal. And we'll see it, I'm sure, in the Netflix series. But in that Indian Wells final, for him to be that American, to be the first guy since, what, Isner in 2019 Miami, I want to say, to win a Masters 1000 title, to be the first of his young cohort. Obviously, Opelka's had some really good runs. Tiafo's had some really good runs. Tommy came on really strong this year. And all of us already excited for Brooksby, Korda, Nakashima, all the things that will bring And yet Taylor sort of established himself as the guy in American men's tennis moving forward. I know Ben Shelton will certainly, according to me, have a say in that conversation. But to see Fritz go to where? Were they in Duria? I know it's the Duria Tennis Cup. Did they play it in Riyadh? Did they play it in Aramco? I forget exactly where they play the action in Saudi Arabia. But I thought Rublev looked really good. I thought Medvedev looked as though he was slowly returning to form at the very least. Now, again, did he— Did he return serve at times from 12 feet behind the baseline? Of course he did, but you could tell he was also working on some things. He was trying to perhaps be a little bit more aggressive, stand a little bit closer to the baseline, work a little bit more frequently at just going after his forehand when he had the opportunity, because obviously if that forehand becomes a consistent weapon, dare I say, the rest of the ATP tour is absolutely (laughs) f***ed. But again, the big thing for Taylor Fritz was just, how uh, the big thing for Fritz, and I guess why I've I've spent enough time probably talking about him uh, at this point. But Fritz was the biggest winner because everything we saw in 2022, it just looked real once again in uh, in the Duria Tennis Cup in Saudi Arabia. Obviously, he gets the big paycheck. Obviously, by capturing the event as well. And again, every time I see Taylor, he looks a little bit more athletic. Now he used to be a string bean, and. You just felt like he didn't have any muscles on his legs. Well, 18 months later, after working with Michael Russell, and I know there's a knee surgery thrown into that mix as well, but the muscle is kind of there now for Taylor Fritz. The frame has kind of begun to fill out – I was – go listen to the pods we did a couple of weeks ago. Taylor Fritz clearly found a new peak in 2022, and I was of the belief that I think this is as good as things get for Taylor Fritz because he was just one of five players in the ATP Top 50 to rank Top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. And you know, while he wasn't a Top 10 server, and I think he has the sort of weapons, baseline – framework to rubric of his game to be a top 10 server perennially Uh, you know he's a top 15 sort of guy and just again statistically for him to maintain this level of play he was also a guy who got a ton of wins in a ton of different places across the calendar obviously punctuated most I suppose. Uh, punctuated most by the fact that he won that Indian Wells title and made a couple of second weeks at slams, Wimbledon, Australian Open being the two big ones. Um, you know, all of that said, can he replicate that degree of consistent success again in his career, put together another top 10 season, put together another semi-finals at the ATP Tour Finals how, what's the list of players who have made multiple semifinals in their career at the ATP Tour Finals? It's probably shorter than 50, right? And, you know, Taylor Fritz will be put him, his name on that list in ATP Tour history should he have another run at the ATP Tour Finals like he did this year. For him to even get back again would obviously be extraordinarily impressive as in the history of tennis, there aren't that many players who have made two, three, four, dare I say even five ATP Finals in their careers And watching Fritz play in Saudi Arabia just does feel like this level of tennis actually may just be extraordinarily replicable for him moving forward. So those are my thoughts from the action in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I know there was a a little mixed doubles action as well. Certainly, uh, it felt like there were times, and we saw different guys, you know, the Michael Mose of the world, the Stefano Tsitsipas, the Dom Strickers, Hubi Hurkats, all ultimately find ways to get in on the action. I know Stan Wawrinka got to play a little bit down there as well, but obviously not a ton. Uh, You know, again, you don't put too much weight into any individual results. More broadly, again, do we see trends continue during this exhibition season? I think the big trend we saw continue is that Taylor Fritz continues to be extraordinary at any event that he plays. The other big exhibition I just want to talk about quickly is the World Tennis League. Now, look... Tickets aren't cheap to get into this World Tennis League. I believe the cheapest ticket you can find is $199, which it says $199 AED on the, on the website. I, I don't know what unit of currency AED is. I was thinking, is that American uh, dollars? Um, no, it's probably not what it stands for. But here's the thing. You look at the World Tennis League, you look at just some of the players in action right at this event, certainly to have Bianca Andreescu, Iga Swiatek, Caroline Garcia, Annette Conteve, Elena Rybakina, Arena Sabalanka. And then on the men's side, of course. And that's just the women's side. On the men's side, I should have said Jeannie Bouchard on the women's side. But men's side, you get Kyrgios, you get Runa, you get FAA, you get Djokovic, you get Zverev. You get every name you're looking for as a tennis fan. And so, with all due respect, I know it's December, and I think I saw a tweet from Noah Rubin today. This is the only time Noah Rubin's going to get quoted on this podcast. Some of you know our long story. Standing fake feud with Noah, Um, but he point out tennis needs to learn that absence makes the heart grow fonder. To some extent, he's right. Like it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you know a rare, rare, a rarefied anything is a commodity in itself, right? Because you just don't see it that frequently, and thus rarefied is generally enjoyed. Uh, That said, you know again we're getting. A handful, not just a handful, we're getting a ma- not a majority either, but we're getting plenty of the top players in the world all competing on court in team action to see the FAA EGA interactions, to see, you know, Andrescu and Kyrios take the court together, playing some doubles to get to see, obviously, any sort of EGA on court action. How will she be able to follow up her 2022 season? Caroline Garcia, by the way, similarly, how will she figure out what was uh, arguably the highest ending to the season of any player on the WTA tour. I mean, look, I thought their first match, since I did all this stuff on on Taylor Fritz, for what it's worth, Iga, a victory over Caroline Garcia. She wins three and four. Yeah, Iga looked like Iga. Like, with all due respect, I mean, Iga Svantec just is better at tennis, at all the little things, than just about anyone she faces. And, okay, Caroline Garcia is serve as elite, obviously, but Iga can match her, serve for serve, and the moment there's a two-minute or a three-minute or, God forbid, a five-minute dip in Garcia's level, you just feel like Iga is always there to capitalize, regardless of who the opponent is. In this instance, it happened to be Garcia, and again— was Caroline Garcia killing herself getting to the outer thirds? Was she exploring every returning possibility or every different play she had in her playbook as a counter to Iga Swiatek? No, Garcia wasn't doing any of those things because it was still an exhibition. But again, for Iga who, here's the quote from Iga, truth be told, in in talking about her results yesterday, truth be told, I wasn't counting games. I'm pretty confident I can focus on other things in matches, change something up with my tactics, and just implement what I've been working on in the offseason. The score isn't the most important thing here. Mostly, it's fun and learning, so I'm pretty happy that I played such a solid game. The other quote from her, there's always something to improve. I'm 21, so I think I can actually do many things, but on volleys especially, we've been working on my volley game. I'll tell you what, with the space Iga creates from the baseline, I've said it before, I'll say it again, there's no more dangerous thing in tennis than Iga Svantec sitting with her feet set waiting to explode on the ball on the ad side of the court because if she gets a forehand with time on that side, you have no idea where she's going. She gets a backhand and she doesn't even need time. She can crush a cross, she can crush a line, but if she... I don't want to say learns to take advantage of the space she creates by closing things out at the net because she already does that. But if she gets better at that, pack the bags, start the planes. This tour is over. Like Iga Shvantec, shout out to Dan Miller for that line. Iga Shvantec will be there uh, as we saw this year already. Even if she never improves again, you feel another uh, – doesn't improve enough. You know, even if this is the level she stays at, if things get static, this level for the remainder of her career – I mean, statistically, she was the only player to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage this season. She was, you know, yes, ahead of the field, but also comfortably in all the different positions she needed to be, you know, comfortably ahead of some of her compatriots, comfortably ahead of some of those yearly averages of top 50 players. Um, Yeah. Iga looked damn good, no doubt about that, and is still the resounding favorite at every event she plays come the 2023 season, of course. Just quickly, Djokovic loses to Zverev. Why does that matter? Not from the Djokovic side of things. It's an exhibition. It means literally nothing to Novak. And all I have to do, point you to the start of November, point you to everything Novak did from the U.S. Open onwards. He lost one match, three sets, Holger Garuna in Paris. That was it. He's the guy entering 2023. For Zverev, though... Again, from a confidence perspective, it's very easy as a tennis player to trick yourself into saying, yeah, I know he wasn't trying his best tennis, but I did still just beat Novak Djokovic when even when he's not at his best, he's still got to be pretty Pretty darn solid to get through that finish line. I thought Zverev served pretty well against Djokovic. I think the most important thing is he looks like he's moving confidently. He's not quite sliding yet as freely as maybe he did prior to destroying his ankle while sliding at the French Open this season, but the backhand's still elite. He was playing aggressive. He was playing confidently. He was playing freely, which might be the most important thing. And, you know, again, coming back from injury, I do think Sierra ends the year again in tw- uh, in 2023 if he's healthy in the top 10. Simply put, I think his floor is just that much higher now than some of the other players on the ATP tour, regardless of the improving nature of the field. I mean, again, Dominic Team, we haven't seen yet in action. I know he'll be playing with Annette Conteve uh, later on as he plays for the Hawks. When do they get in their first action? Did Dominic Team play earlier today? No, he plays on Thursday. Does Dominic team? he did play, no, he did play today in doubles, but he plays singles, that's what it is. He's playing singles on Thursday. Um, and again, we'll get to see more. Djokovic, Curios, FAA continues to, just everything we saw from FAA to end the season, he's carried into this offseason. For what it's worth, you know, FAA was this good in January last year, right, at the ATP Cup and making a decent run at the Australian Open these past two seasons, winning his first title in February of last year. FAA always comes out hot after after an off-season training session. And what we've seen from the exhibitions thus far suggests nothing will be different. The last thing I want to say about the World Tennis League and then again, some quick Opelka Doubles thoughts will wrap today's show as we get reinvigorated, ready to roll, but just dipping our toes again back into these podcast world, back into the podcast world, I should say. Um, Look, aesthetically, is an orange court great? No. Probably not, especially when it's a bright yellow tennis ball, and it makes life a little bit harder to see the contrast of that ball flying through the court when it's, you know, compared to its background is all bright orange as well. The color difference, not too great. Um, that said, I respect anyone who takes a shot, like— it's why not try something different? At least now we know, hey, bright orange, not going to work from a television perspective. But the accents of the court, the colors of the team, uniforms, the Hawks, the Falcons, the Eagles, the broader theme of what they're trying to accomplish at World Tennis League, I think it's very admirable. And then you add to the equation the fact that every night there's a massive concert, right? You look at who's performed thus far. Tiesto performs last night. Tiesto, one of the biggest global DJs in the world. Like, Again, if I know Tiesto, I'm not the biggest music guy. I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts, but even I have been to a Tiesto concert and they're freaking sick. And I'm not gonna get into the stories now. We'll save my Tiesto experience for the Patreon podcast, but yeah, that's awesome. I don't know who WizKid is. I assume he's very cool. It's probably not Wiz Khalifa though, right? Wiz Khalifa hasn't rebranded to WizKid, has he? We'll assume no. Neo Pitbull. You know, Neo, always a winner. You love that. The Mouse, Dead Mouse, who, if you weren't listening to Ghost and Stuff or Professional Griefers when you were in high school, in my age, you just weren't doing life right. I mean, again, they have concerts every night. Mohammed Ramadan, who... I believe, is another big DJ in the area. He's coming in to spin some records. Armin Van Buren is coming for the finals. Is this the Ultra Music Festival or is this a tennis match? Again, the fact that they are incorporating other things into this action, trying to make it a global celebration, trying to perhaps create an association in some of these people's head. Hey, tennis isn't just tennis. It's also this big party that we get to enjoy as well, and we're going to carry the energy that we plan on having for Armin Van Buren into the tennis we get to see prior to Van Buren coming out. I love it. I I love the fact that they are spending the money, that they are putting in the resources. Now, the crowd's been okay. They haven't been exceptional yet. It's still very early in the event. Obviously, they've got some major partners uh, over for this World Tennis League as well, but... I love it. I love the blending of the artists of the players again the teams that we are that we were able to see and you know you get the Falcons where you have Dimitrov, Sabalenka, Badosa and Djokovic, uh Berrettini, the Eagles with Andrescu, Kyrgios, Garcia, Bapada, and you know Iga, FAA, Holger, Genie on a team. Zverev, Kontave team and Rubakina. It's four outstanding teams. It's a really really exciting week of tennis and again Maybe some of you aren't ready to watch that tennis unfold quite yet. Maybe you do need a little bit of a hiatus. Maybe you you know, want to spend some time with your family here in late December. I guess I can understand the inclination to like that. But I'll tell you what, if you're looking not just for high-quality tennis, but to get your groove on, a little beat, a little energy. Again, it's a, it's a funky format where they are playing no-ad scoring. They are trying to speed things up. It's exactly what I want out of my December tennis. I want high-quality players playing very good tennis, but I don't need to be overwhelmed by the quantity of it. And I think World Tennis League hits it perfectly. It reminds me a lot of what they did in World Team Tennis at the Greenbrier back in August 2020. Of course, that World Team Tennis uh, was really the first pro-tennis action that returned in the COVID pandemic, you know, at the heat of—in the, the prime of the COVID era back in 2020, or the start of it, I should say— Look, do I like? Do I love the orange theme? I like that their website's also orange, that they've really doubled down on that color, that they went all in on it. If they want to change up the color every year, so this year we go green, uh, orange, maybe next year we go blue. Maybe the year after that, they go black, all black courts. Maybe after that, they go all golden courts. Whatever it is, shoot your shot. Take a swing. Try something different. It's an exhibition event in December. Again, we know what doesn't, like, it, it's, it's sometimes we know what doesn't work in tennis, but a lot of times we don't know what does work. And in order to find out what does work, sometimes you need to learn what doesn't work. Orange courts may not work, but the spirit, the ethos of this event, it certainly does. So again, that's my thoughts on World Tennis League. The last things I would point you to, A, some really good articles being written right now on tennis.com is the entire team from, you know, Ed McGorgagon, also known as Ed McGrogan, but he knows I have to call him McGorgagon because it just – that's how it comes out of my voice. Um, Ed McGrogan, David Kane, obviously Joel Drucker, Matt Fitzgerald, Peter Bodo, John Levy, Steve Tigner, Stephanie Livedouse. Um, They're just killing it, absolutely killing it on Tennis.com. And so many people argue, where's the media? Where's the scholarship? Where's the coverage that I want to see of the tennis world? It's all happening on Tennis.com right now. Sincerely, folks, I highly recommend you give any article they write a, a read. They recently were talking about, you know, the biggest questions entering the 2023 season. Who is 2023 most critical for from an ATP WTA standpoint? That's obviously a topic we planned on exploring here on this show. Topics we will get into here throughout the course of the week. Hopefully, I'll have some of those Tennis.com writers, not just David Kane, but I'm looking to expand the portfolio here through the final two weeks of December. So hopefully, we'll have them on to discuss some of their takes. But the final thing I wanted to discuss was maybe the hottest take we saw of the week, or at least perception-wise, was perceived as the hottest take of the week. And obviously, that take belongs to Riley Opelka. And for those of you who perhaps weren't following things closely over on Tennis Twitter, just to quickly recap, Um, Opelka's thought process, I suppose, how all of this transpired, why we're talking about him here today. Uh, You look for Riley Opelka, the, I suppose, inciting incident for this tweet. You go all the way back to perhaps a day ago when he – well, I'm not going to get into – I was going to say there are so many different things uh, for him to discuss. And uh, for Riley, a day ago, the the poll he decides to put out, what is tougher – Pick a ball or doubles, ultimately doubles wins the poll. But our dear friend here on this podcast at RC Doubt, Ryan Doubt, says, Why don't you play double slams? Think you'd be a top five doubles players if you wanted. Probably more fun to play a non-strenuous match on your slam off days than practice. Everyone in the world would want to watch would uh, in the world would want to play with you, and there's okay money in it. To which Riley Opelka responded, quote tweeting this saying, There's way too much money in doubles. From there everything transpires. Riley goes on to call doubles players are the most overpaid athletes in the world. He goes on to say they don't sell a single ticket doubles players meaning Outside of the UK, unless it's singles player playing doubles, for example, Indian Wells. He's then asked, yeah, but it's just poor marketing by the ATP. Doubles is way more entertaining than watching some seven-footer blast ace all day, to which he responds, agreed. But for some reason, when I play Medvedev, Kasper, or Rafa, people seem to watch. Dub guys don't get opportunities to play those matches. You know, Riley goes on to continue to say, agreed. Not all singles players sell tickets, but not a singles, a single doubles player sells tickets. Overpaid is overpaid. Hard to argue with the math. math. You know, he goes on to say people watch the best singles players play doubles, but they don't watch the best doubles players play doubles. You know, the best tennis players in the world rarely play doubles. Decreasing draw size and doubles would be a good place to start. He did go on to say the Bryan brothers are the only exception because they sold a lot of tickets. Uh, but obviously, he goes on to say they retired over a year ago. There aren't others who are on that list. I just wanted to read through all of Riley's thoughts so that you listeners, I suppose, can have a better base of understanding of why he's caused the storm. His comments caused the storm. I suppose that they did. Look, I've seen others weigh in with this opinion. I don't think it's going to be unique. To some extent, I don't like the way he framed his discussion. I don't like the derogatory is too strong of, a, of an adjective to use here. I don't like the dismissive tone he provided towards doubles players because there are a wave of doubles players who certainly were extraordinarily talented singles players. Rajiv Rahm was a top 50 player in the world. He's now the number one doubles player. And By the way, Rajiv Rahm coming on to the Cracked Interviews podcast on Thursday. That promises to be an electric podcast. I know all of you listeners will enjoy I mean, again, you could go through the list of top 50 doubles players right now, how many of them earlier in their career pursued singles careers, how many of them were top 100, top 50 singles players before either age or whether it was just the success they were having in doubles drove them towards that route full time. Look, it is a catch-22 in that there's the, the tennis pie from a revenue standpoint, it's only so big and simultaneously it feels like we're constantly jockeying between the fact that we're saying all these people aren't paid enough right we're saying outside of the top 10 the players 50 through 100 are even struggling to make a living we're saying certainly if you're outside the top 200 it's damn near impossible to make a living as a professional singles player and again For all of these players, we're looking, well, okay, we want to pay you more. How can we go about doing that? Is it gambling revenue, incorporating that into professional tennis? Is it redistribution of the revenue we currently see uh, within the sport of tennis? For instance, less money going directly to the slams, more of that slam TV revenue, TV pool money uh, being filtered down to the ATP 500s, to the 250s, to the challengers, and the ITF levels. I'll tell you this though, again, half not half of that pie but from a revenue perspective, a lot not a lot, but a non-insignificant amount of that pie goes to the doubles players, ATP, WTA regardless. There is money in professional doubles. Period. Like you can be a professional doubles player. Now you better be the best of the best if you want to make a comfortable living, but I don't know, I wish I had the number in front of me. I'll have to do more research perhaps this Speaking about it on the podcast, we'll have some of you brilliant listeners tweeting at me specific numbers, but let's say the doubles profession, is, let's say doubles gets a quarter of the pie, if you redistributed that 25% of the doubles money and applied it only to singles players, and just again, because with all due respect, and someone made this argument in the tweets, yes, doubles is an excellent way to fill court time, right? There are so many times when you send out the order of play where you can't just have you're not going to have 70 singles matches every day, right? There's not always going to be a singles match available to be played on every court available at a facility. Doubles does an excellent job of bridging that gap, but also providing a different form of imper- entertainment. It's a little bit quicker. Uh, obviously, as from a format perspective, the points themselves a little bit faster, sometimes even a little bit more creative. There's more improvisation in doubles. And look, you're talking to a guy who— Four of my closest friends in life. Three of my closest friends. Well, oh, Eric, I I played doubles with my older brother my sophomore year of high school, which coincidentally was the year I was never. You know, I, I would say it's toward the end of freshman season. That summer, going into his senior year of high school, my sophomore year of high school, I beat him in a set, and I've never lost to him since. Uh, that said, we got to play doubles together for a weekend tournament. Still, one of my three favorite things I've ever done athletically in my life. The Devils partner who I actually played with that year, Kyle Zhu, lifelong friend. We played club tennis together at Michigan as well. You know, after that, Abe Huku, who— some scholars have argued was the first love of my life. Doubles partner, we want to stay championship together. Doesn't matter where he lives. Doesn't matter what we're doing. I call him. He calls me. One of us is picking up the phone, no matter what. Patrick Adams was the year after him. My senior year of high school, still one of my closest friends to this date. Anytime I'm in D.C., I'm staying at his place. And then, I don't need to tell all of you Greg Rackets fans about Maxwell Labauer Rothman, co-founder of the Great Shot Podcast, doubles partner, partner in crime, man without whom. I would not be doing what I do today. I think the bond created by doubles is exceptional. I think there are times when I'm hitting casually with friends, I really don't like playing double sets because I just think there's too much standing around, too much waiting, not enough guaranteed I'm going to hit three, four, five balls every point. And really at this point in my life when I'm hitting, what I want to be doing is sweating and working out. Again, it's not the quality of professional doubles, but I understand the draw towards singles more so than doubles for any casual fan, casual player of the sport. That said, again, if we're going to have a serious, legitimate conversation about how best to distribute the limited resources, the limited revenue currently provided in the professional tennis world – Re-examining the importance of doubles, the significance of it, its role in the tennis ecosystem is an important conversation to have. It's one certainly one would imagine would best be had internally by a player's union, by, you know, again, the players playing doubles versus the players playing singles. How do each of them value it? How do each of these doubles players make their case for that doubles product being as entertaining as anything else? I'll say this. I do think the majority of casual adults, especially after the age of 40, You're playing doubles. You're not playing singles when you're joining a team league, when you're going to hit with your friends or whatever it is, the things you do on weekends. I mean, hell, even at 27, the industrial league I play in at Indy, you know, there are three flights of singles, three flights of doubles in every league match. And so doubles clearly has a role to play, but where does it have its role to play professionally? And again, in the broader conversation of the resources allocated to it, too much, too little? Should it only be at Grand Slams? How do we best in doubles moving forward. I think it's a legitimate conversation to have. I think it's a fascinating one to have, and it's one I will definitely be having with someone smarter than me on this show sometime soon. But with all of that said, again reinvigorated ready to roll as all of us tennis fans get excited for another year on the ATP and WTA tours we will be back tomorrow to begin our extensive preview looking at 2023 getting back into the numbers getting back into the players who are in those critical stages of their careers very good content planned for all of you listeners this week hopefully you'll stick around to hear it all of course a shout out as always to the man who makes it possible our super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an job he does day in day out across across all of our shows. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all of that said for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.